Could we turn to Revelation chapter 19, please? Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I wonder if I was to ask you today, what is the greatest wedding in history? What would your answer be? The greatest wedding in history. Some people would say, well, it was in 2011, whenever William and Catherine were married. And my, it was a tremendous wedding, a tremendous day. 28 million pounds was the total expense for the wedding of William and Catherine. But the greatest wedding of all, if you, particularly if you think about royal weddings, the greatest wedding of all was in 1981, and you know what I'm going to say, the wedding of Charles and Diana. 90 million pounds, 90 million was the expense 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, what a lavish wedding took place when Charles and Diana were married. Their wedding was witnessed by 3,500 people in Westminster Abbey. It was broadcast to a total of 750 million television viewers from around the globe. Princess Diana's wedding gown was covered in 10,000 pearls and had a 25-foot train. She was chauffeured in a glass coach from her place to the cathedral. Quite a wedding. The greatest wedding in history. But what about the future? I wonder what will be the greatest wedding in the future. Well, 
Uh, You don't have to wonder because we're told about it in Revelation 19. Here we have the wedding of the church to Christ. It's called, if you look there at verse 9. Notice what it's called. Verse 9. The married supper of the Lamb. The greatest wedding ever. That's what we have here in Revelation chapter 19. That's what I want us to think about today as we come to this passage. We think about Jewish weddings today. That's something that we need to consider. We need to consider for a moment to understand the context of the wedding that's described for us in Revelation 19. We need to speak about a Jewish wedding for a moment or two. Do you know at Jewish weddings there's what's known as the breaking of the glass? The breaking of the glass. It's a tradition, a custom at every wedding between a young Jewish couple. The breaking of the glass. And what actually happens is that the groom will take a glass and he'll wrap it up in a napkin and he'll put it on the floor And he'll stamp on it and break it to pieces. And then all the guests at the wedding will shout, Mazel Tov. Every time I hear that term, Mazel Tov, I I think back to high school days because I was the rabbi in the school play. And I I had a a menorah and and, uh, at one point in the play, I had to hold up the menorah and say, Mazel Tov. And of course, everybody laughed at the rabbi. But the Jews, the guests at the Jewish wedding, they shout Mazel Tov when the groom stamps on the glass, when the glass is broken. And everyone shouts this Jewish phrase, Mazel Tov. It literally means in English, congratulations. That's what we would say, congratulations. Do you know there's something very interesting at the start of Revelation chapter 19? Whenever I think of the breaking of the glass, the destruction of the glass at a Jewish wedding, I think about how the Lord Jesus Christ here destroys his enemies. He breaks them to pieces. In Revelation 19, look at verse 2, and you find the destruction of the enemies of Christ. In Revelation 19, verse 2, For true and righteous are his judgments, For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hands. Before the marriage supper of the Lamb, before this greatest of all weddings takes place, there's business that needs to be taken care of. The Lamb needs to deal with his enemies before he can be married to his bride. And he takes care of his enemies here. This great whore, as as she's called in verse 2. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the great whore, or Babylon as she's also called. And we said that it just means organized evil. Remember that. Every time you read about the great whore in Revelation, or every time you read the name Babylon, think about organized evil. 
not just evil on an individual scale, a personal scale, but organized evil. Evil by the authorities, evil by the powers that be. There's lots of it around today. There's plenty of it. Plenty of organized evil. Do you ever hear of a book company called Waterstones? Here's the latest. Waterstones are now pushing gender ideology onto children and teenagers. They have every year, they've got what they call their children's book prize. And there's a short list for the, for the prize. Two of the books in this year's short list are about transgenderism. There's been a lot of a lot of emphasis. I've got I've got quite a few messages this past week about a petition that's on the rounds, doing the rounds about Waterstones in the book. It's called My Teen Trans Misadventure. Terrible book. But there's another book actually that I haven't. There's been no talk about. It's also it's just as bad. I am not a prince. I am not a prince. That's the title of it. Pushing gender ideology on children. The great whore. She, she's alive and well today. But one day Christ will deal with her. Before his wedding. Oh we could talk today about a. Christian bookstore In Nottingham. Maybe you didn't know about this. Let me tell you. Mustard Seed Cafe. That's the name of the restaurant and bookstore in Nottinghamshire. The Mustard Seed Cafe. That's a good Bible name. The Lord Jesus talked about a mustard seed. The Mustard Seed Cafe and Bookshop in Nottingham has been ordered to pay £21,000 because of a COVID regulation breach. During, at the end of 2020, the owner, by the way, you know what age she is? 70. And she has been slapped with this £21,000 fine for opening her bookshop at the end of 2020. Absolutely disgraceful. A pensioner, Christian pensioner, being harassed by the great whore, by the authorities, by the powers that be. The lady in question has claimed that Magna Carta, you know the great document from 1215 signed by King John, she said that the Magna Carta permits her to open her bookshop and her restaurant. She's right too. What um, strikes me about the whole story is that people came to the shop when it was open. You see, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's, that's what the focus should be on. People came to the, the cafe and to the bookstore when she opened it. It wasn't as if she opened her premises and nobody turned up. People wanted it to be open and people came. But yet there she is, this 70-year-old lady, and she has this £21,000 
fine hanging over her head today, three years later. Wouldn't it sicken you, the whole thing, when you hear about these WhatsApp messages that have come out recently? You know, Matt Hancock. Butter wouldn't melt in his mouth three years ago. But of course, it's all come out now that he was behind this as, as it, the, the, the words that were used, this plan to scare the pants off the population. Fear. Absolutely shameful. The great whore has been busy. What about Arthur Pawlowski, a Canadian pastor who is facing 10 years in prison for preaching to the Canadian truckers? You know the men who took that brave stand against the vaccine mandates in Canada? And if you cherish, by the way, I'll just interject this today, if you cherish freedom, you will hate mandates. When you're told to do something, when you're told that you must do something, when you have no choice in the matter. But the truckers took their stand and this pastor who originally came from Poland and he knew all about communism and fascism and national socialism. And he thought when he came to Canada that he had left it behind. But of course it's something that he has experienced uh, in his new country. He never thought in a Western country, that he would experience what he had experienced previously in Poland, but he has experienced it over the last three years. So he's facing 10 years in prison for simply preaching to the truckers. He has already spent 51 days in prison for keeping his church open. You see what we mean, folks, when we talk about the great whore, when we talk about Babylon. I could stand up here and talk about the great whore in Babylon, but it wouldn't mean anything to you without making it relevant to the world in which we live. It's around today. This organized evil. But I'm glad that the day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ, when our heavenly bridegroom will come and crush his enemies. Thank God that day is coming. The book of Psalms prophesies that day. Psalm 2 verse 9, Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Revelation 2.27, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. What about the bride here in Revelation chapter 19? Let's get to the wedding ceremony because we've talked about the preparation and how the groom has dealt with his enemies. Now let's come to the wedding itself Let's think first of all about the bride. Look there please, open your Bible and look down at verse 7. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. The wife. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say bride, it says wife. You see, it's speaking about betrothal. And again, you have to go back to a Jewish wedding to understand what we mean here when we talk about betrothal. Whenever a young Jewish couple uh, met and they decided that they wanted to spend the rest of their lives together, they were betrothed. Betrothal was a legal contract, a bit like the signing of the register today and the signing of the marriage schedule. Only it happened a year before the wedding, not like today when it happens during the wedding service. But it was a legal contract. There were witnesses there to witness the signing of this covenant. The young couple from that point on were married, but they did not live together. They were married, but not living together. That's a bit like our present state as Christians, isn't it? We're married to Christ. We're living in Beulah land, which means married. Our heavenly spouse is at God's right hand. We we are betrothed to him. We are espoused to the Savior. But we're not living with him just yet. But hallelujah, the day will come whenever we will be living with him. You see, after the year was up, that young Jewish man could go and claim his bride. He would go to the house of the the father of the bride where the bride lived and he would claim his bride. His wife. I'm glad someday that the heavenly groom is coming for his bride to this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ will descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. Our groom is coming for us. Might be today. Oh, I would love it if it was today. Are you pining for the coming of your bridegroom? Are you longing for that day? Here's what Spurgeon had to say about the second coming. Listen, Charles Spurgeon. It ought to be a daily disappointment when our Lord does not come. Instead of being, as I fear it is, a kind of foregone conclusion that he will not come just yet. Tell me, when you went to bed last night, child of God, were you disappointed That Christ hadn't come yesterday? If he doesn't come today, will you be disappointed tonight when you pull the curtains? Suppose most Christians get disappointed when their football team loses. 
sort of the world we're living in or where, you know, other Christians are inconsolable when their phone runs out of battery and it dies and they have to wait and charge the phone uh, so that they can waste more time on their phone. Those are the kinds of things that disappoint the majority of Christians today. But you've got a minority who are disappointed because their saviour hasn't returned. Verse 8 of Revelation 19. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Here's the wedding dress now, the wedding dress. We've talked about Lady Diana's wedding dress. What was it? 10,000 pearls, 25 foot train. Some wedding dress. But here's a, a wedding dress that far outshines Diana's. And by the way, we've come across this item of clothing before. We've read about it, you see, in Revelation 7, verse 14. Revelation 7 and verse 14. These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The robe that the bride wears on her Wedding day in heaven is a robe that has been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. It has been, it has been purged from all sin by the precious blood of Christ. The blood of the Lamb has made it whiter than the snow. There's no spot, there's no blemish on it, no stain upon it. And that's the the robe, that's the garment, that's the apparel that the bride wears here in Revelation 19. Fine linen, clean and white. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. In flaming worlds in these are red, with joy shall I lift up my head. It was again to go back to Spurgeon. It was Spurgeon who said that we should throw overboard the lumber of self-righteousness and sail to heaven in the righteousness of Christ. The bride in Revelation 19. But let's finish with the groom. The groom. Sorry, ladies, but in this wedding, it's the groom who's the center of attention. I know normally at a wedding that it's the bride who's the center of attention. That's the way it is in our culture. But here in Revelation 19, no, it's the groom who is the center of attention. Everybody's focus is on him. He's called the Lamb. That's the name of the bridegroom. Verse 7, the marriage of the Lamb. Verse 9, the married supper of the Lamb. This groom, this Lamb, has paid a dowry for his wife. You see, when a Jewish couple gets married, still to this day, a dowry has to be paid to the father of the bride. Well, the Lord Jesus has paid for his bride, he has purchased his bride. 
As the hymn writer put it, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, which is the Lord's. Your body belongs to the Lord, you know. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to anyone else. It doesn't belong, certainly doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to the Lord. He has purchased you, body, soul, and spirit, child of God, with his own blood. He, he has paid the diary. The down payment has been made. And someday he's coming for his bride. The engagement ring has been presented to the bride. What or who is the engagement ring that we're referring to? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the engagement ring of the church. You see, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, this is what he said about the Holy Spirit. Listen to it, Ephesians 1. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. The moment that we were converted, and I hope you have been converted. If you haven't been converted, you need to be converted today, by the way. For Jesus himself said, except you be converted, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I hope that every one of us have been converted. But when we are converted, we get the engagement ring from our beloved The Lord Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit into the world. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in the Christian the moment that they're saved. The engagement ring is placed on the finger of the bride-to-be. And this wonderful Holy Spirit lives within each one of us to comfort us, to help us, to, to strengthen us for the Christian life. Being a Christian is not easy. It's ten times harder than a non-Christian's life. That's the reality. So just in case any of you are under any illusion about, you know, the Christian life being a bed of roses, being all plain sailing, and all your problems will disappear if you're converted, it's absolute rubbish. There's a cost to being a Christian. It'll be hard. There'll be difficult times. You'll be criticized, ridiculed. You'll be disowned. But don't worry. There's someone who'll never disown you, and that's your heavenly bridegroom your saviour. And if you have him, then he is all you need. The Holy Spirit, our engagement ring is upon our finger until we see our saviour face to face. William Montague was blinded in an accident When he was 10 years old, despite his disability, he graduated from university with high honors. While he was in school, he fell in love with the daughter of a high-ranking British naval officer, and they became engaged. Not long before the wedding, William had eye surgery. 
in the hope that the operation could restore his sight. If it failed, he would remain blind for the rest of his life. But William insisted on going ahead with the surgery. He insisted on keeping the bandages on his face until his wedding day. If the surgery was successful, he wanted the first person he saw to be his new bride. The wedding day arrived and the many guests, including royalty and cabinet members, assembled to witness the exchange of vows. William's father and the doctor who had performed the operation stood next to the groom whose eyes were still covered with bandages. The organ trumpeted the wedding march and the bride slowly walked down the aisle to the front of the church. As soon as she arrived at the altar, the surgeon took a pair of scissors out of his pocket and gently removed the bandages from William's eyes. Tension filled the room. The congregation held their breath as they waited to find out if William could see the woman standing before him. As he stood face to face with his bride-to-be, William's words echoed throughout the cathedral. You are more beautiful than I ever imagined. As Christians, we look forward to the day when our bandages will be removed and we will see our heavenly bridegroom face to face. Paul spoke about these bandages in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And when we stand before our Savior and see his face for the very first time, his beauty will far exceed anything we have ever imagined in this life. Only faintly now I see him. With the darkling veil between. But a blessed day is coming. When his glory shall be seen. Face to face shall I behold him. Far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory. I shall see him by and by.